Hey everybody, welcome back to 10% True. Just before you get stuck into this episode, I wanted to let you know that in 2024, I'm going to be republishing my book, Red Eagle's America's Secret Megs. That's the story of the 4477th Test Evaluation Squadron and the program Constant Peg that exposed American fighter aircrew to secretly acquired and operated MiGs in the Nevada desert in the 1970s and 1980s. The book's been out of print for a while. It goes for crazy prices online, but I'll be republishing as a softback exclusively through my website, 10percenttrue.com. If you're thinking about supporting the channel, you'd like to buy the book for yourself or even as a gift, please do go and place a pre-order. I'll put a link in the description. All pre-orders are going to be 25% off and I'll make sure I personally inscribe and sign your copy for you. Anyway, I'll let you get back on with enjoying this episode. Take care. Hey everybody, welcome back to 10% True. 10% True is now not only a YouTube channel, but also a podcast. So you can get this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, any of the usual suspects. If you have downloaded this as a podcast and you're listening uh, with audio only, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Please feel free to leave a review, to subscribe. But also note the best way to enjoy 10% True is using YouTube because there's typically images or video that goes along to help enrich the experience. This week's guest is Rich Cooper. He's a very experienced aviation photographer, has worked in the aerospace and defense industry for many years. I'm trying out a new format with him, which I describe in the video. So I'll stop talking and let you enjoy. Take care. Rich, thanks for joining us on 10% True. Appreciate your time. Oh, pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it all day. So so I'll just explain for the people that are watching or, or maybe even listening on the podcast, the, the format. This is sort of an experiment that, that you and I have, have pretty much come up with together just through the process of talking on uh, on social media. So originally, I'm, I'm a big fan of your photography. Um, so um, originally, I wanted to talk to you about that. And, and I had sort of very lazily said, well, can you just pick some of your favorite shots and we'll, we'll, we'll go through those. And then I think you sort of challenged me and you said, well, you know, do they have to be my favorite shots? Mm. And that sort of got me thinking. And, I, and, uh, and, you know, I think together we came up with the idea that you could yeah. maybe just pick sort of five or six shots that are uh, notable to you for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be the most visually stunning images. But for some reason, there's a story or there's something that you would uh, maybe sort of describe to people that they wouldn't necessarily see in the image itself. Um, so that's the yeah. format. So it, it's sort of a, a desert island discs, but for a photographer. Yeah, no, I really liked it. It was a bit different to the um, the usual, you know, what what's your favourite shots this year or um, that kind of format. So I really enjoyed the challenge of it, actually. It was far harder than I expected. Um, so you very graciously let me have a couple of more images that I could talk about tonight. Um, but yeah, it, it, they're not necessarily, as you say, like my absolute best, most technically amazing shots. Um, certainly not, actually, in a couple of cases, but it, it's... It was the desert island bit that really struck me. I thought that's a really cool idea. You know, if I if I only only had those six images with me on an island and the memories and the kind of the connection that that they had to me, then you know, what what does that mean? What does that look like? So it was, I really enjoyed the process. It was it was a cool cool exercise. Excellent, cool. Well, so so let's before we look at the photographs, or, or again, if someone's listening to this and not watching it, maybe before we describe them. Um, yeah. can, can we hear a little bit about you? So, so you're Rich Cooper. Uh, probably a lot yeah. of people will have seen your work, not necessarily have associated with your name. There probably are a lot of people who know your name too. Um, but can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, I've been doing it a long time, which is probably why people are sick of my name, I guess. But 
I've, I've actually held a uh, camera in my hands since I was seven years old. Uh, my dad was a photographer, uh, still is a photographer, journalist, that kind of stuff. And uh, he gave me his Olympus OM10 in 1982 ah. to, to use at the seven and uh, at the 82 Farm Brer show. And I just loved it. You know, the, the, the flying was very different then and the whole engagement with air shows and the access you could have was very different. So I was, I was pretty much hooked and I, I live in Farnborough. My, I'm talking to you from my Farnborough office right now and I can see the approach out the window uh, from, from where I sit at the moment. So um, I'm born and bred in Farnborough and then shooting at Farnborough was my first show. I was, I was pretty much hooked. My, my dad was also a, a, a Farnborough apprentice and was uh, went out to Saudi as a crew chief on lightnings. And my grandfather was uh, based at Farnborough at the Royal Naval Air Department and uh, developed the whole kind of aircraft carrier system of traps and hooks and catapults and everything else. So it's absolutely in my blood, you know, I had no chance. Uh, so just going on holiday, we then I would get, uh, we'd, it would obviously be some sort of aviation theme, much to my mother and sister's disgust. But uh, I remember going into Lucas one day and I think it was Triple One Squadron had some new markings on a, on a Phantom. And, we were able to just get on base back then in those days. And I photographed this thing coming out of the house, sent it to Aviation News. And at 11, I had my first picture published. So that was a real hook, you know, it really got, I love seeing that on the shelf. It was fantastic. And I still do today, you know, it's, it's a weird thing, but I, I love seeing, it's just a great buzz seeing you work in print. So uh, I, I wanted to go in the RAF as a photographer, that kind of stemmed that interest. Um, but right at that same time, it really hit uh, the, the first SDSR hit, the first white paper hit, the, all the massive cutbacks that was coming in at that time. So uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to join the RF at that time. So I said, go away and do something useful, which I did. So I went and worked in the camera shop. <laughs> and uh, it was a really good time because it, it not only taught me sort of to deal with difficult customers and customer relations and all that kind of stuff and phone management. I was only like 16, 15, 16, 17. Uh, but also got to learn all the different camera manufacturers and started getting into that that side of things really well. So uh, the boss at that time was a Minolta user. So he said to, to stick with the Minolta. So that's what I did. I very loyally stuck through that and uh, got rid of my Practicas uh, <laughs> that I was using. Uh, went into Minolta and then just sort of like got more and more into it. I could obviously access a bit of discount working in the shop. Um, so I, I continued to do a bit of freelance self uh, publishing here and there, going taking my day off on a, on a Thursday, and Jamie Hunter, who's an, another guy you might know uh, very well, he he also had a day off on Thursday, so he just used to travel around the UK in all, all the times when those exercises were going on and, and shoot and send stuff into magazines if there's an article that was worthy of um, worthy to write, and we'd sit down and do that as well. It was, it was a good time. Uh, I then joined a, an aviation data supply company, uh, which my dad actually worked for up a place at Heathrow. And that saw me um, quickly get into the editing side because uh, they had a load of publications. It was like um, it was a monthly one, a weekly one, a biannual one, a bi-monthly one, and an annual one that I was eventually editor of. And it was the, the weekly one that was much more like uh, the, the full-on journalist side of things. You know, So I was out there talking to airlines and seeing what they were doing with their routes and their plans and their fleet disposals, all that kind of thing. And I, I on one of those press trips, it was up to Sweden, um, Malmo Air's first Avro RJs, believe it or not. Um, and I met the deputy editor, uh, sorry, the editor of uh, Aircraft Illustrated, Alan Burney, and he needed a deputy. So he, he uh, we got to talking, went for a job interview, uh, which consisted of two hours talking about what music I like, 
um, not no no real job interview at all. And um, we just hit it off, and I think that's really important in this industry. If you you connect with someone and the work side of things can follow, you know. So I, I joined, and uh, I was editor of Combat Aircraft and Aircraft Illustrated for ten years uh, between '98 and 2008, and then I left and did something completely different with my life. I ran a, a youth charity here in uh, in Aldershot near where I live, and. Uh, in that sort of time, I've, yeah, I didn't really do much aviation, but it's, as I said, it's right at the start. It's well into my, well in my blood. You know, it, it is who I am. So, couldn't kill it completely, and it, it sort of slowly raised its head again. And I got back into it, and I set up the Centre of Aviation Photography, which actually has got its legacy from back when I was editor of the magazines, because uh, we set up a, a readers' club back then that allowed uh, our readers to go out and visit squadrons and their bases. Uh, that we were writing articles on, I would talk to the, the base and say, look, we're doing an article in the magazine. Um, I'd like to bring some of my readers over to, to really experience it as well. And back then it was a lot easier because 9-11 hadn't happened and the security in the whole world was a different place. So it was, it was, uh, it was a great time of unrestricted military access, which looking back on now is quite remarkable. But uh, So I, I set that format back up again uh, about five years ago in the format of the Centre of Aviation Photography. Uh, which is now very much my full-time job. <laughs> so how, how many members do you have? Uh, it's about two and a half thousand, something like that. And, and is, yeah. is it a, if it's not a silly question, is it a commercial yeah. venture? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, in its fifth year. And I think if any business survives the first three, they, they say it's going to be okay, right? But um, it's not easy. There's no, no way, not easy at all. Uh, you know, I know, it's a very tough, competitive market and... Uh, we, we offer something that uh, I, I really believe in, you know, it's all about the, the experience of aviation and the adventure of it all uh, for, for photographers. And you don't have to be a, a professional, you don't have to be a, a, a newcomer, you can just, just come out and, and enjoy your photography. We travel the world um, offering that sort of experience, whether it's like two or three days at a time or a week or two weeks at a time. Just literally just come back from um, <laughs> Japan for <laughs> two weeks ago. Um, that was really cool. Great trip. And it's uh, I'm away for about 25, 30 weeks a year, something like that. Right. So it's pretty intense. Yeah, so there's a lot of work goes into that. And we also offer workshops and um, seminars and courses and all that kind of stuff as well. So, yeah. Okay, Rich. So, so tell us about the first picture you've chosen to take to this uh, imaginary desert island. Yeah, sure. So one of the things I absolutely love to do uh, is concentrate my efforts on, on aircraft that are going out of service. Uh, something that stems back to the kind of early 2000s when there were a lot of really cool types disappearing from our, uh, our skies. Uh, and probably my my first three I'm going to talk about in particular um, are really special to me for that reason. And not not just because of, uh, as I said earlier, not just because of, you know, what the type is and, yeah, it's, you know, it's a nice shot, but um, also kind of the, the effort and, and what it meant to be doing it as well at, at the time. So... My first shot I'm going to talk about is the uh, three ship of F-117s in the sunset. Um, that was unbelievable. I mean, I'd let you into a bit of a secret. I, I, a few people know this, but I get really airsick. So shooting from a backseat of a fast jet is is a real challenge for me. And it's something you get desensitized to. So I'm a lot better now. I mean, this was 2008, this image was taken. So 10 years ago, uh, uh, more. And uh, yeah, I, I was still pretty green literally see what i did there um and yeah being in the back seat of the cockpit with with the mask on your face and the hud here you, you, you know what it's like and it, you know you've got it's all compressed and um claustrophobic 
you're looking through a camera and you're zooming and my inner ears don't like that. It doesn't kind of work out what's happening. So um, I actually had to, in the brief of that, I actually had to build into the brief specific vomit time so that everyone knew that we were on the same, seriously, everyone, we're on the same, same page that if, when I said, okay, I need a minute, you know, what they'd do, where they'd hang, if we were on that heading or this heading or, or whatever, and what, what the aircraft would do in terms of straightening out, straight level and what the comms would be, uh, where the switches were in the back so the guy in the front couldn't hear me and, you know, all that jazz. It was, it was really important. Um, and obviously where, where to stow it and all that. So, yeah. Uh, it, it's physically really hard for me to do stuff like that. Although um, I have done a lot better recently, it was uh, back in those days. It was it was pretty tough. So, uh, and it it represented a monumental effort of relationship building. I think, um, as no doubt you realise that uh, these opportunities don't just fall in your lap. And that that shot, you know, that that sortie uh, was the very last air to air sortie undertaken with F one sevens. And it's it's just I can't even believe it. Just sitting here saying that even you know that it was the, these jets they weren't like uh new build or upgrades or modernization of of a previous type these were the actual jets that were secret at tonopar you know that they were it's those machines and i was up there flying with them that sunset and they're literally like i think it was three weeks four weeks before they were retired officially and uh it was it was phenomenal I, the reason I, I chose that shot in particular because you know it was I flew with them, uh, I think I flew, flew four tanker sorties, uh, three visits to Holloman and a backseat ride. So it had quite a lot of engagement with the community. But the reason I chose that is because I had a real sensation of um, how, how good the pilots were for a start. I mean, they were quite senior guys. They sort of started major upwards because of the, the type of role it was. So they're all pretty good on the stick and everything else. But um, I, I was literally asking my guy inches up and inches down so that I could get the, the sunset exactly where I needed it to be. So I've got shots in that sequence where the sun's kind of coming through the gap in his mask even, you know. I was just really precise, intricate movements. And I remember being able to feel the jet go backwards and forwards and up and down to, to my command. It was it was fantastic. And obviously, um, yeah, they, they, they flew it brilliantly. Um, so sitting there briefing um those pretty senior guys the bandits dude you know actual bandits um and then executing it and despite the physicalities of it delivering the shot that that had to be in with me on the desert island did you um i mean we'll talk about there's there's a theme that runs through your images we'll talk about that maybe a little bit into into this session but did you so you knew that was the shot you wanted or that was a shot that that presented itself at the time no no i absolutely wanted it 100 percent yeah, the, the the other half of that shoot, shoot was with the flag jet. They painted up a, a one seventeen with the with the American flag underneath. So we did the ta- daylight portion of the sortie with that, and there were I think you know five or six different serials I wanted out of that. And then um, there were I think five five serials out of the sunset as well. Um, and then once obviously the sun was below the horizon, we RTB. So yeah, it's very deliberate. One of the things, I mean, you've you've already characterised it. My, you know, my experience is the same as yours, which is that you know when you when you first jump into the back seat of a high performance aircraft or a fast jet, um, and you're wearing a G suit or 
Um, yep. You're strapped into an ejection seat and you have a mask and a helmet. It is claustrophobic. And then you're trying to shoot through a viewfinder where you can't actually see the full frame anymore because you can't get it close yep. enough to your face unless you drop the mask. And um, so, so there, there's a, there are a bunch of things that maybe aren't evident to people who haven't done it before that, that of course, the image doesn't convey. Um, how If someone were to go along for their first flight tomorrow, um, and they wanted to capture a shot like that, what, what pieces of advice would you give them? What are the things wow. that they should focus on? That's a really good question. I mean, it's not that dynamic. It really isn't. That, that's a, a, if you know how to set the jets up, then that shot's pretty easy. You know, you've got to know your camera really well, definitely. Um, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not upside down. I'm not, you know, um, I'm not pulling Gs. I, it, we're, we're straight and level, but I've, I've, what I have done is position the aircraft well, known my camera really well in terms of how it exposed sunsets and where I needed to meet her and that kind of stuff and the exposures I needed to do and everything else. And just given a really careful brief. I think if you, I'm, I'm not a pilot in any way, shape or form, you know, these guys are incredible, right? But I know how I want the picture to look. So quite often it would be a case of, okay, this is what I'd like to do. And they either laugh or go, oh yeah, no, we can do that. How about modifying it this way? But I think as long as you're clear in communicating what you want and sit down with your pilots, you know, your camera ship pilot and the guys you're shooting way ahead of time, way before the briefing happens, everything else, and just talk through what you need, what you want to achieve and then let their incredible pilot brains work that through and then form it into a formal brief. I think um, that's a real start. But I wouldn't, you know, crikey, someone doing it for the first time tomorrow that, it's it's a it's a big deal. It really is. You know, it's it's a you know make sure you're comfortable, make sure you're rested, make sure you eat. Uh, so if you are going to do something, there is something to bring up. You know, because I've done that too, and that's really painful. Um, and uh, yeah, just be clear of your objectives and don't try too much. But you know, if you've done it a million times, like some of the other guys out there, I, I'm also super critical of. You know, uh, you get these incredible shooters of you know Jamie, Frank, Katsu, etc. and all those other amazing guys that, that do this um, far better than I do. And yeah, I, I've um, utmost of admiration for them, but they set the bar so high. I enjoy being quite critical of it. So, so, so Rich, what's your second shot then? Uh, second shot is along the theme of, um, you know, the final stuff. And it's the uh, F-14, the, the mighty Tomcat. And that's, uh, yeah, a very, very special time and image again. So, so where were you when you shot this? Because uh, this is for, for somebody who hasn't seen it or listening. Yep. It's it's a head-on shot looking down. Uh, yep. So it's almost as though you're you're sort of hanging out of the back of an aeroplane. That's what it looks like. You did. Yep. How, how did you get it? Yep. So I was uh, deployed out onto the the Roosevelt um, during the the uh, OIF Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, it's the Tomcat's last ever cruise, uh, and this was uh, probably about a week before that cruise finished, and they set sail back for Oceana. So this was the last, 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 last chance that something like this could happen. And um, back uh, back in uh, that stage, for whatever reason, it was really, really difficult to go through Bahrain to get onto the carrier. Um, there was, um, you know, just for whatever reason, the security in Bahrain was ridiculous. And there was one, one particular guy uh, on the desk that actually wouldn't let journalists through anymore. He'd, he'd had enough, you know. So he had to literally wait and see kind of who was on the desk at the time at the security gate and if it was him then you had to kind of duck underneath and hope he didn't see you and oh, it was it was a nightmare but i had three trips uh planned built 
paid for, done, approved, all cancelled. Um, probably just, I think, uh, yeah, about like a day before I, I flew out there. So it was really, really tough to do. And I'd, I'd heard some horror stories of guys actually getting out there and uh, being turned away at the gate and, you know, or going through the, the actual gate itself and being hauled off back back uh, back home. So it was it was a really tricky gig to get on. Uh, but if this guy wasn't on on shift, then um, you were in. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was it was a bit of cat and mouse on this one, just just to even get on the boat, let alone get this far. So uh, this was taken from a C two cod greyhound, and uh, it was it was on our, our flight back. I was actually with Katsu Tokanaga on this one. And uh, we'd we'd brief the, the the pilot, and um, it was incredible. Uh, Captain Bill Sizemore, he was the CAG at the time, and is pretty much, by all accounts, and proved to be as well the best F14 stick that was that was left in the community. I mean, the, the shot is is of the jet wings fully folded, and you think you know he's flying that at about 130, 140 knots, and a fully loaded, weaponized, heavy, fuel laden F14 behind a, a C2 and that, you know, that took some serious airmanship. So um, it was, and literally he was, he would have been the only pilot at that time left in the F-14 community that could have performed that kind of maneuver. So pretty cool. Um, and they, they, it was, it was all obviously always as, as it always is with air to There's a million factors going on and, you know, you don't know if anything's going to happen until the jet's actually there and your camera's working and you've got the shots in the bag. There's nothing guaranteed at all. And, for this, we, we were supposed to have two Tomcats behind us. Uh, and But it's obviously, as I said, it was um, an operational mission. You know, they, these guys were um, it, it was full OIF mode. And the Tomcat was a, a particularly in-demand asset at that time as well because of the, the new rover uh, updates that it received. It was a really intense battlefield, um, a really, really useful asset. And they, they had to have two Tomcats involved in a particular mission over the beach, as they called it. Um, so to get, to ensure there were two over, two that actually crossed the border, they launched four off the deck. So we, we took off, we got launched in our, in our C2 first. Uh, the, the air wing then did its launch uh, as we bimbled back over to, uh, to Bahrain. And the, the four jets pushed over to the border with hoping that, that, that two would make it and one broke. So it had to RTB. And which meant that um, one of our jets that we were photographing, one of the spares, then had to join the package. Um, so they, they pushed over, they, they went over, and that left us with one aeroplane. And he then had to come back round and uh, find us and, and join up with us. And that was quite an amazing sight, um, as you can imagine, having a, a Tomcat kind of in the in the distance, swinging into the into your view and uh, going through the serials that we'd briefed. And, and that... that uh, to see it, it was obviously wings forward to start with while he was pretty heavy and gasping for air and everything else. And as he got lighter, he was able to put the wings back a little bit and uh, drop some flares and pull around. And but that that shot of, of that's that's there that you have um, of it just the shape of it and how battered it is as well. I absolutely love the the texture on top of the jet. Uh, so just the, the, the kind of again I, I suppose it's the that that represents the you know if I, on this desert island if, I, if the determination uh but if i really want something and, and i you know um I, I like to be told no or i like to be told it's not possible um because it fuels me to to really make it happen so this was an impossible shoot and it was uh, an impossible target is the last day it could happen on the very last 
month, a day of a six, seven, eight month cruise, um, and the jets was going to be jets were going to be retired. So this was it; it had to happen, and uh, and it did. I, I think that's another thing that you, you that probably people don't really see or, or or aren't really aware of is the sort of I want to say jeopardy, you know, it's not really the right word, but but you, you normally get one chance, you know, if the weather's yeah, bad, if a jet breaks, if if someone's ill, uh, you know, yeah. that's it, it's canned, and then you go home, yeah. you don't you don't get a, a spare or there's no, we'll try it again tomorrow, it's, no, that's no. it. I, mean, I think that's that's always one of the surprises of people, I mean, it's, um, you know, for, I mean, it's another subject of another day perhaps, but the whole, the kind of like what they call the pay-to-play era, you know, where, you know, the, the, you, you you get given a seat on a sky van and you point your camera at the back and take the shots. And that's amazing. You know, it is an incredible thing that's happened to the um, photography world in, in that sense when it's done properly. And I mean properly. Uh, and it, it's, um, it can look pretty easy, you know, because you're, you're literally sat there and the jet comes up or the airplane comes up and you take shots and you go home and, you know, it's, it's not cheap and we know that. And that's, that's the way it is. The air to air is not a, a cheap game but it sometimes hides how difficult and how many years and years of relationship building goes into getting these air-to-air shots and the the heartache and the ad the admin oh my days the the admin and the, the time put into something like this i mean you know uh you certainly don't do this for the for the, for the cash you know that that <laughs> comes if you factored in our time and everything else of, of making a shot like that happen then uh it'd be horrifying you'd just never do it um, but instead, you get you know 150 pounds for a front cover of a magazine, and it you know it pays for your beer or something. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not why we do it. But it, it does mask the, the difficulties. You know, as you, you mentioned a few earlier, and like you know, you've then got to add in the weather, the airspace restrictions, the the, the mismatch of, of aircraft types of performance of often, unless you're in a back seat, of course, which um, you know is <laughs> another story. But uh you know and, and your gear your your physicalities everything it's there's so many factors and so much of it can go wrong all of the time and part part of the, the skill involved in all of this as i'm sure you realize as well is is not when it's right is getting the shot because you know those stealths or you know that tomcat is just sitting there click but it's every it's the absolute skills and dedication and devotion and time and effort uh and resources and physicality everything that it takes to get into that position in the first place to be able to take that photo is the skill involved as well as then delivering when you're up there yeah i think the other thing i mentioned it in the previous shot um i didn't know when you were going to bring the f14 up but i think the other thing that is sort of thematic about your shots as well and you mentioned it is dynamism um or in 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 your case lack of it um and and so for me i'm I personally, so art is subjective, um, so it doesn't yeah. mean there's a right or wrong. But I love simplicity. I love I love clever use of light. I love composition. I love background. Um, and and you mentioned you know other photographers you know perhaps being more skilled at producing those highly dynamic, um, really action packed shots. And 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 I I I doff my hat to them in the same way as you did because it's yeah, yeah. it's really difficult to do. It's really difficult to do it. Well, a lot of people I think are doing it and there are some people who are, are better at doing it than others. Um yeah, and just because you yeah. get three jets in a break doesn't mean that's a good shot. What you don't yeah. want you don't want overlapping aircraft. You don't want, you know, sort of odd breaks. You don't want things that just sort of jar people. So there there yeah. is still an artistic element to it. But what I really liked about the F fourteen shot is that it's just beautiful. 
know, it's oh. it's it's soft it's soft light again. Uh, the mottled effect from where it's obviously been flying many many missions, it's had no love. The yeah. corrosion of the paint, the sea salt, all of those things are captured in it. And then of course the beauty of the aeroplane itself, the the shape of the aeroplane, it looks like a delta wing. Um, yeah. So 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 for me, you know, you you can if you put those elements in, you don't have to have the dynamism. You, you don't yeah. have to have really really clever stuff going on and flares pumping out and and aircraft at odd angles. You can just have that. You know that is as yeah. good as as any dynamic shot I've seen. Yeah, so, yeah. No, that's yeah. cool. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like what you're saying.